Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we continue our new series, A Mission for Ministry, with a message called, We Trust the Bible, Part 1. So turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Here's the reason why God is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Unlike governments, unlike parents, unlike the police force, unlike every other place where human beings place their trust, all human institutions are imperfect. Sometimes they fail, sometimes promises are made, but promises are not kept. Now, the reason promises are not kept are many and varied. Sometimes promises are not kept because the people making the promises are corrupt. But that needn't be the case. Sometimes promises are not kept because unforeseen circumstances prevent the promises from being kept. You know, parents might say to children, we're going to take care of you. But then the parents die in a car accident. It was unforeseen. But once that unforeseen event has occurred, even though it was the intention of the parents to keep the promises they had made to their children, they're unable to keep their word. That doesn't make the parents bad, but it does make them unable to say every word of parents proves to be true. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says that every word God has spoken proves to be true. He never speaks and then is unable to fulfill what he has promised. But there's another problem. No one else can say that every word they have spoken is true because no one has a sufficient knowledge base to know whether the words they have spoken are true. We see that in politics. Again, put aside the matter of corruption and think about some of the things, mundane things, that a country might say. A country might say it's safe for our citizens to travel to such and such a place in the world. It's called a travel advisory. And some of us who are used to traveling typically go to our nation's travel advisory to see what are the conditions of the place we want to see. But let's say our country was unaware of a major terrorist plot in that country. Well, in that case, every word on that travel advisory would not be true. But we all understand that. We know that given the limited amount of knowledge, no government can ever issue a word on anything that will always prove to be true. Let me take one step further and move this from the world of national policies to a world of science. Science is simply the observation of nature. But as we all know, scientific textbooks are constantly being revised. They have to be. So much new data is flowing in. And furthermore, the more data we get, the more we learn, and what's actually out there is so great, well, we can't even imagine it all. No matter which area of human endeavor we consider, no one can say every word from me or from this organization proves true and therefore what we say is a shield to all who take refuge in us. However, what human beings can say is that the data we have is as accurate as is currently possible. But as we saw from Proverbs 30 verse 5, God says something most remarkable. He says, every word I speak proves true. There's no information out there that God has not thoroughly investigated. His knowledge is comprehensive. God never learns a thing, for he already possesses perfect knowledge on all things. And that brings us to the subject under discussion, the Bible. Most often when Christians are asked what they think of the Bible, they will say, we believe the Bible is the word of God. But what exactly do we mean when we say that? 
So let's stop here and consider what the Bible actually says about itself. I know, I know. There are some of you who are listening who might be critics. You'll say, wait a minute, that's circular reasoning. I know what you're about to do, and you're going to go to the Bible to prove that the Bible is the Word of God. And that's akin to saying, I know the Bible is the Word of God because the Bible says it's the Word of God. It's circular and it's unreasonable. So let me grant that critique right up from the start. I know it's a circular argument. However, I'm still going to say it's important to hear what the Bible says about itself and why. Let me put it this way. Let's say I were to make a claim that my introduction to psychology textbook from back in my university days was the Word of God. Well, the critic might rightly respond, why do you make that claim? Nowhere does your psychology textbook ever make that claim. Indeed, it claims to be the combination of observations regarding human behavior combined with popular theories on how to understand what we see. Your textbook makes that claim about itself. It never claims to be anything other than it is. Hope you see what I'm saying. If I make the claim that the Bible is the Word of God, I ought to be able to find places in the Bible where that claim is made. Now, I readily admit that making such a claim does not prove the Bible to be the Word of God. But if we did not find such a claim in the Bible, we would have no right to ever make such a claim. So I'm looking for a place to begin our discussion. Does the Bible make the claim to be the Word of God? And here, fascinatingly enough, we find not one claim, but many claims to that. Let's start with a very familiar phrase, thus says the Lord. You actually find that phrase, according to my software package, it's found over 2,000 times. That is, when the phrase is found, it expresses that God's doing the speaking. Now, it's especially true when one reads, let's say, the book of Isaiah, where the phrase is found 34 times. Here's one example, Isaiah 10:24. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. So let's put that in context. The Assyrians were, at the time of that writing, a regional superpower. They had brought down one nation after another and then were training their sights on Judah, threatening to destroy Jerusalem. Isaiah the prophet is speaking to his nation, trying to comfort them and to stop them from panicking. But he's not speaking as a politician or even as a prognosticator with an eye on the trends or the military defenses of Israel and the problems that, you know, Assyria might have had in keeping their growing empire in line. Rather, Isaiah claims that when he is speaking, he's actually speaking on behalf of God. And since every word spoken by God proves true, then Israel should be able to take refuge in those comforting words. Well, those who know your history will also know that something miraculous happened to prevent the Assyrians from destroying Jerusalem. And in case you're a critic, let me say that not only does the Bible record that, it's also recorded by Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians. It's recorded in what has been called the Taylor Prism. Sennacherib there boasted that he had imprisoned King Hezekiah of Jerusalem as a bird in a cage, he said. And then with no explanation, the siege is broken. And then, of course, finally, Sennacherib is assassinated. But I'm going too far afield. I've been saying that the Bible frequently makes the claim that these are not merely the words of men, but these are also the words of God speaking through chosen men. Indeed, there are two places in the New Testament in which sweeping claims are made. 
The first is found in 2 Timothy 3.16, and it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So let's start by the reference to Scripture. What's meant by all Scripture? Well, it must refer to the 39 books of the Old Testament, and I say that because at the time of that writing, those 39 books were understood by all faithful Jews to be the Scripture. But it must also refer to, at that time, the not-yet-complete 27 books of the New Testament. And I say that because the New Testament was written by those writers who were appointed by Jesus. But what's claimed about these 66 books? See, what's claimed is that they are breathed out by God. It's not to deny the human authorship of those 66 books, but behind the authors is the breath of God. Well, the second wide-sweeping claim comes from 2 Peter 1.21, which says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, notice carefully that there is not a denial here that the Bible was written by men. See, every once in a while, I'll hear someone say, you know, I don't believe in the Bible. It was just written by men. So hear me. We who believe in the trustworthiness and in the authority of the Bible, in what later I will call the inerrancy of the Bible, we all say that the Bible was written by men, by people. But we do say that these men were carried along in such a way that the Holy Spirit ensured that what they wrote was the very word of God. In some mysterious fashion, the Bible contains the words of men, to be sure. Their unique experience, however, is that behind these men was the superintending and guiding hand of the Holy Spirit who oversaw these writings so that every word they wrote was the very word that God intended they should write so that their words are the very words of God. And Jesus thought that way. In Matthew 5, verse 18, he is recorded as saying, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Trustworthy, practical Bible teaching is something people of all ages and stages of faith need. Recently, we received these encouraging words. Thank you. The work you're doing is such a blessing. From the library of study materials on your website to the excellent video lessons with Dr. Newfeld, I've been an avid listener and viewer of Back to the Bible Canada for a few years now, and it just keeps getting better. Well, Back to the Bible Canada is striving to meet a deep spiritual need by offering practical, trustworthy Bible teaching resources on air, online, in print, and so much more. As we work toward our fiscal year-end goal of $325,000, we've been provided a very special matching gift pledge of $75,000. That means for every dollar you give, another dollar is given up to $75,000, doubling its impact. All you need to do is call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to offer your gift today. If you listen to Back to the Bible Canada, you'll know how often at the end of the program we will say, Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. And I'll have a lot more to say about that half of the equation, but right now, I'm talking about why we teach the Bible. 
It's because we trust the Bible. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God, and if it is, then not one word from God will be found to be untrue. See, up till now, all I've done is to make the case that the Bible, in fact, makes those very claims about itself. And to those who like to say, I'm not bibliocentric, rather I'm Christocentric, here's my answer to you. How do you know anything about Jesus? You know it from the Bible. And the Jesus of the Bible was constantly quoting what? From the Bible and basing all his teachings on the Bible. And he believed the Bible to such a degree that he thought one could trust the Bible right down to the smallest stroke of the pen or the smallest letter in the alphabet. Jesus didn't just believe in the basic principles of the Bible. He said he trusted it down to every single word, indeed every single letter. All right, all I've done now is to make the claim that the Bible self-identifies as the Word of God and that Jesus thought every word of it was true and it was a representation of what God had said. But please indulge me just a bit further. The various human authors of the Bible actually make the claim that what the other authors of the Bible had written was also the Word of God. I want to offer a number of examples of just that. So I start with Joshua 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Well, those words were written, I will argue, at a time when the ink on the book of the law had hardly dried. That is, Moses, the author of the first five books of the Bible, had just died, and the mantle of leadership had fallen onto his successor, a man named Joshua. Joshua will become God's spokesman for the next generation. But the very first words he speaks to the people is that the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those five books, were to be learned by every single Israelite. It's only in learning and doing the law of God that they would be ensured of having success. Are there other such examples? Why, yes, there are. Here's an interesting incident from the life of the ministry of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was telling the people of Jerusalem in his day that because they had refused to repent of their sin, God was going to destroy the city of Jerusalem by the hand of the Babylonians. In reply, the political leadership said that Jeremiah was speaking treasonous words. He was taking away people's will to fight, and therefore Jeremiah should be put to death for preaching sedition. But instead of putting Jeremiah to death, suddenly in Jerusalem, there's a, there's a backlash to that plan. Here's what happened. I'm reading Jeremiah 26, verses 17 to 19. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring disaster upon ourselves. I hope you see the importance of that passage. You can read all about Micah's prophecy in the book of Micah. But what's interesting is that at the time of Jeremiah, somewhere around 100 years after Micah, the believing people of Israel all understood that Micah, when he spoke, spoke directly from the mouth of God. So now, 100 years later, when people were trying to come to terms with whether Jeremiah was a prophet of God, 
A number of the elders of Israel say, hey, before you dismiss this guy, please understand what he is saying. It perfectly aligns with what Micah said a hundred years ago. So we might want to keep that in mind. That was the word of God. Now go forward to the book of Daniel. Daniel 9 verse 2, Daniel's writing about himself and he says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books a number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. That is, the prophet Daniel had been reading the prophet Jeremiah about 30 years later and knowing him to be a prophet of God came to understand that the exile of Israel would last 70 years. See, not only did Israel and the believing community understand their prophets to speak the word of God, but the later prophets recognized that the earlier prophets had spoken the direct word from God before them. But sometimes prophets who were contemporaries also understood that about each other. Listen to what Peter wrote about Paul. 2 Peter 3, 15-16 says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, note this now, as they do the other scriptures. See what Peter does with the writings of Paul? writings which were then being written. Peter, the man Jesus designated as the leader among the apostles, speaking of Paul, calls Paul's writings scripture, just like the rest of the writings of the Bible. I know I've taken a great deal of time belaboring that one point, but I've been doing it for a very good reason. I am aware there are a great many critical biblical scholars who try to make the case that it was only much later, hundreds of years after the Bible was completed, that the church in order to curb a diversity of religious opinion, tried to make the 66 books of the Bible to be the word of God. And so the term Bible came about because of the councils of the church attempting to safeguard their power and make certain books to be the word of God at the expense of others. But that view of things simply belies the evidence we've considered. It's the self-consciousness of the Bible writers and the immediate acceptance of the believing community that it was the word of God when they heard it. That simply can't be said of those other books. See, these 66 books are unique because they claim to be the very words of God, and the people who heard them first thought they were the word of God, and the other Bible writers looked at these writings and also thought them to be the word of God. Now, I've not given proof that the Bible is the word of God, but for heaven's sakes, let's get rid of the myths, shall we? No, the Bible wasn't put together hundreds of years later. It was put together while it was being written. And the Bible writers were convinced they were speaking for God. And their message was believed by the believing community from the beginning. That's what we have in the Bible. Now, let's get back to where we started. I began by quoting Proverbs 30, verse 5, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And I quoted that passage with the intent of saying that if the Bible is what it says it is, we would have to conclude that every part of it is true without error, without inconsistency, and that it corresponds with the real world. You know, years ago, Cambridge scholar C.S. Lewis made an argument about the deity of Jesus. 
He said that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. He said that because he saw that people were coming up with patronizing nonsense about Jesus. You know, he's a great moral teacher, people would say. He's a religious genius, others would say. But Lewis rightly pointed out that Jesus claimed to be God in human form. And Lewis went on to say that a man who would say the kind of things that Jesus said could not merely be a good moral man. A good moral man would not make those kinds of claims. No, no, Lewis is right. You have to make your choice. Either Jesus is who he says he is, that is the son of the living God, or he's a lunatic or a liar. But, said Lewis, let's end this patronizing nonsense about him being a moral man. Jesus, by his very words, has not left that possibility open to us. Let me use Lewis' argument and apply it to the Bible. In our day, there are a great many people who claim to have a high view of the Bible. At least that's what they say. By that, they mean that the Bible speaks prophetically to the culture in which it was written, and it still speaks prophetically to our culture as well. But while these supposed compliments are given to the Bible, at the same time, these very people will sometimes argue that on a number of fronts, the Bible contains errors, makes contradictions, and makes claims we now know to be untrue. But, say the critics, it's still a worthy book to study. Like Lewis' depiction of the real Jesus, let me suggest that the Bible has not left that option open to us. The Bible claims to be the very words of God. And if God is God, he knows all things, and he does not err. If the Bible is the word of God, it, like God, speaks truthfully on all subjects that it addresses. Thanks so much, John. Let me ask you this. Is it possible to believe the Bible is inspired, but not inerrant? I know there are so many people, Ben, who do say that. Um, and, you know, to that, I, I would simply say, if the Bible is inspired, uh, at least in the way in which the Bible speaks of itself as being inspired, that is, that it is given by the breath of the Holy Spirit, uh, then to argue that the Bible contains errors is to say that God makes mistakes. Uh, but on the other hand, if by inspired we mean, you know, like inspired in the way that, you know, a good piece of music is inspired or so forth, well, then in that case, uh, you know, the Bible has errors. But, you know, you need to understand you're having a very different definition of inspired than the one that's been commonly accepted. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, A Mission for Ministry, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada Israel Experience is a trip like none other. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. A supporter who attended our last trip said, now I can relate to the places of the Bible visually because I've actually been there. The planning and organization of the trip was excellent. I'd love to go on another Back to the Bible Canada trip in the future. So make your plans to join an intimate group of spiritual pilgrims this coming April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 for the Israel Experience, hosted by Back to the Bible Canada with on-location teaching with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, evenings of entertainment with Laugh Against Phil Calloway, and very special musical guests. More information and trip itinerary and registration forms are available now. So call us at one 800 663 
or visit backtothebible.ca to learn more.